Welcome to She's a DPM, a platform for women to share their experiences, knowledge, and insights on cultivating a life in and outside the field of podiatric medicine and surgery. Welcome back, everybody, to She's a DPM. Today's a She's a Future DPM segment, but it's uh, interesting because we also, along with having a future DPM, we also have an Olympian on podcast today. So I just want to welcome Jacqueline Simino to the podcast. Hi, Dr. Axman. It's an honor being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to be on. Um, before we get started, I kind of just gave the big thing away that yes, you are also an Olympian, but um, you're currently a podiatric student in uh, Quebec, correct? Yeah, correct. All right. Well, why don't you tell us a little background of yourself before we get too far into the interview? Of course. Uh, so as a kid, I, I always grew up knowing that I wanted to become two things, an Olympian and a doctor. Um, I was diagnosed with celiac disease at a young age. I was in and out of the hospital for a good four years, and I was surrounded by these amazing physicians who were so kind, and caring, and had a really lasting positive impact on me, which is why I decided to enter the medical field. And for the Olympic part, I love sports growing up. I, I'm an active kid and um, I knew I just wanted to go to the Olympics. I didn't know in what sport until I discovered artistic swimming. And that's when I kind of dove in the water, loved aquatic sports and found my love for a sport that's kind of a culmination of a, a bunch of different sports. So that's in the slight background of you know, my goals as a kid and how I'm going to slowly achieve those goals one by one. You're very close to achieving both. I've watched several of your videos and it's just incredible, like what you are capable of. Um, and it's beautiful. Like, it's one of like the, my favorite things to watch as well that like, cause I, I just, I can't imagine like how much dedication and work you've had to put over the years to accomplish what you've been able to accomplish. So, um, why podiatry? Um, so as I mentioned a little bit earlier, the medical field always interests me. I did a lot of shadowing, uh, when I was an athlete with a lot of doctors and I noticed a lot of family doctors end up always referring patients. It's, it's great to see, and it, it's great that you have a lasting impact, but here in Canada, with it being a, a free healthcare system, it's also very much overwhelmed. And so patients don't necessarily get in to go to surgery right away. They don't get to see specialists until five, 10 years later until it's far too late. And so I discovered podiatry just because I, I had a couple of actual foot injuries myself. I had a tendonitis on the top of my right foot before training for my first Olympic games, my first Olympic qualifiers, actually. This tendonitis became to be a little bit debilitating where it would, it would hurt when I would walk, when I would swim, when my foot would be kicking in the water. Um, and so my team doctor, who was absolutely amazing at the time, prescribed me naproxen, um, just simply not anti-inflammatory, but I ended up getting one of the worst side effects of that, which was a stomach ulcer. Um, and to the point where I was training on it, you know, our 60 hour training weeks and woke up one morning, 5 a.m. like I always did and lost consciousness. It was all because of the silly tendonitis on the top of my foot that caused this. And, and so we don't really have any podiatrists that work with our sports team here in Montreal. And that's when I kind of dug a little bit deeper. You know, who are the specialists in this? Who could I have gone to? 
And right before my second Olympics now, one of my teammates actually ended up in the emergency room for a simple plantar fasciitis that our team doctor wasn't able to take care of at the moment, unfortunately. So all of these little things just added up. And I knew that I wanted to go into this field because we're able to bring the patient from A to Z. Um, and we're, we're very focused. It's very niche on this one area that we know so well. Some common pathology that's normal for a lot of our listeners, but that just shows how important our field is um, and should, should, shouldn't be ignored. Did you find a podiatrist that you then like shadowed or you were just kind of did your own research? So I did my own research uh, and I found a lot of podiatry schools in the States um, and dug a little bit deeper and saw that there was only one school in Canada that offered this program and then found some of the professors that taught at the school and found some students who recently graduated. And from there, I started shadowing some of these podiatrists and I saw how they were so passionate about what they were doing, the flexibility of their hours. And here in, in the province of Quebec, podiatry is, is privatized in the healthcare system. So it's a lot more accessible, not necessarily financially speaking, but accessible to a lot of patients where you get to be seen right away and you don't have to wait a number of years just to be able to be seen by a specialist. I was going to ask how that, how that works in Canada, like with the, with being a specialty. So thanks for answer, answering that. What year are you currently in school? I'm in my second year. And is it out of four years? Same as the States? Correct. Um, yes. Okay. So I felt like it was hard to juggle schoolwork on its own. Um, so how are you as a second year podiatrist school, which is still like a lot of tests and a lot of commitment. How was that with juggling your other commitments with being like a professional athlete? Um, it's, it's like anything else in life, I suppose. Once you're, you're committed and you, you like your goals that are set in front of you, you find a way to make it work. Um, with school, it was an adaptation at first. After my second Olympics, coming back home from Tokyo, um, I was training 60 hours a week and my body was used to moving that many hours and then just going to sitting down, having 10 classes a semester, I'm also studying in a different language. The school here is actually in French. Um, and I've been doing all of my studies thus far in English. Um, that was also an adaptation. Um, but then you, you tend to find out, you know, your own schedule, how to time manage yourself and how to squeeze everything in, training, a little bit of work on the side, um, and also schoolwork. Oh my gosh. So it added, yeah, I didn't even think of that. When I went on the website, everything was in French. So now that makes sense. So that's like a even added curveball to the challenge. Uh, do you mind taking us through like what a average day in your life looks like? Of course. Um, so I suppose as a second year, it will be a little bit different starting the summer as I enter third year and in clinical rotations. But at the moment, it's still a lot of heavy coursework. So wake up in the morning, uh, do a little bit of training, whether that be ab work or swimming by the pool, and then classes from eight to 12, uh, then about an hour lunch break. And I usually need to move after classes. I can't sit down for that many hours. So I hit the gym um, for just a little 20, 30 minutes. And then classes again from one to, sometimes we finish at 10 p.m. at night. Um, sometimes we have time in between our classes where you could, I, I also work part-time. So get some work done, send up some emails um, and then study at night. So that's a typical day at the moment. 
But this coming summer, it will be a little bit different as we start uh, clinic in the mornings. We have clinic from eight to 12 and then classes in the afternoon and evenings. Okay. Wow. So you have to be very disciplined per person to be able to fit all that in. (laughs) Oh, I was just going to say much like yourself too, to, to be able to achieve anything. You do have to be very disciplined and to be able to manage everything that you have on your plate. Yes. I always love talking to people that are like more disciplined than I am though, because it's like such a skill to build. Like it doesn't, you're not born with it, right? Like you have to decide and you have to build that discipline because motivation goes away. So I always like to pick people's brains on that, how to how to help others or help even myself like build on that. So we'll get into that a little bit, but since you are in, um, uh, podiatry school in Canada, what are there any like differences between the two schools? That's a great question. So as far as I know, um, I don't think there are any differences. We do graduate with a DPM. So a doctorate of podiatric medicine, a lot of our professors actually come from the States or they've graduated from the States, a lot of them from the New York College of Podiatric Medicine, um, some phenomenal teachers. And I like the classes that are somewhat, and those like to call in Fringlish. Um, so we have a lot of the English terms that are <laughs> thrown in there. Um, and in terms of curriculum, the only thing that might be a little bit different is in terms of rotations, because we are privatized here in Canada, um, we don't have access to some hospital rotations. So some surgical rotations, we don't necessarily have access to in fourth year, uh, which is why some students choose to go abroad to the States or either different provinces to be able to access those types of rotations. But those are the only type of nuances I would see between the two programs. Are you interested in um, applying for a residency program? And like, if so, how is how does that differ than like uh, here in the States? If you're mm. yeah. I, I would absolutely love to apply to a residency program. And unfortunately here in Canada, we don't have any residency programs. So the vast majority of people who graduate with the DPM here in Canada can practice um, as a podiatrist without doing any sort of surgery apart from minor surgeries. Um, so you're, you're very limited, I guess, on the term of, of scope of what you can do here in Canada unless you do find a door that opens up in the States where you have access to apply to these surgical programs. Um, There are some people who I know who started perhaps a year or two of school here and then have gone to restart their schooling down the States so that they have access to these programs. And my goal is to maybe find out a way or open up some doors where we could maybe have access to some surgical programs where we could get our training down the States and come back here in Canada to eventually start a training program here. Uh, I just actually interviewed somebody that started in Canada and then for their third year, they then went to the States, completed their third and fourth years and then did a residency program. It's just interesting um, because I think that was, it used to be a program through Temple, they were saying, which is uh, one of the schools, but I don't think that's still happening with Temple. So does New York have anything? Does the New York school have like a, um, like a relationship with University of Quebec? There used to be a partnership uh, prior to COVID. They would actually send a bunch of our students down. So we're a small cohort here. We're only 25 students that start off every year. 
And they would send our cohort down for a good couple of months to do all of our rotations in New York, actually, with all the New York uh, students. But unfortunately, since COVID, that partnership hasn't really restarted yet. Um, so there are some students who have gone down, and I think are restarting their schooling to have access to those residency programs. Um, but it would be nice to be able to get that ball rolling again to see if there's any other partnerships that could open up in the next couple of years. So do you have to, and I can remove this if not, I'm just seeing how, if and there's any listeners out there that know and then able to help too, like how, what can we do to help, like get you uh, more information or like put you in contact with people to help with that? Um, in terms from our side, it's more uh, to be eligible to apply for residency programs. Um, and the, in the writing from what I've been able to read in some of the legislators that you need to be an American student to be able to be eligible to apply. Um, so if we're able to take the, the first board exams and the second board exams, our, we have board exams here in Canada that are very similar. Um, but if we were able to write the US board exams and have access to those programs, I think that would be very beneficial to a lot of the Canadian students up here. Kind of now moving into more of uh, that discipline that I was talk talking about, because it is so interesting how each person um, uh, applies that. How has your career with artistic swimming maybe helped you in podiatry or vice versa? I think as an athlete, there's a lot of transferable skills that uh, move into everyday life, whether you're in the medical field or any other type of field, such as teamwork, communication, work ethic, and time management, I think is one of the biggest ones. Um, training for two games and having 60 hour training weeks, balancing a part-time job with that, and then trying to complete a college degree and all that really taught me how to manage my time very well. Um, so that's one of the key aspects that has helped me tremendously since I've gotten into podiatry school. And then I saw, I was kind of deep diving, so sorry about it, but <laughs> I was on your Twitter and I see that you work with like an involvement with the IOC young leaders. And then that you're, um, kind of speaking on building a sustainable development goals. And could you like dive into a little bit of that? Like what is IOC young leaders and how do you build a sustainable development goal? Of course. Um, so it, it does seem very vague, I suppose, or very superficial um, <laughs> from the outside if you're not quite aware of what the project is. So uh, quite uh, an overview look of this is the IOC stands for International Olympic Committee, and they give anybody from around the world access to certain classes or um, certificates. So I was part of this young leaders program. So anybody under the age of 30 had access to these programs where they teach you how to um, have a lasting or sustainable impact um, in the world. And with my background as an Olympic athlete, we're often asked to give conferences at schools um, and talk about our Olympic journey. And I figured, you know what, there's probably something more that I could do here. Um, and where I could manage my passion for, for sport, but also healthcare and move the two together because here in Canada, despite our, high, our, our school programs being quite, quite good, there are some things that are not touched upon that at school, such as topics regarding healthcare. What does a healthy lifestyle look like? Because in podiatry, we often see patients who have diabetes and have some of the very worst symptoms of, of, of diseases that can be preventable. 
um, you know, heart disease and whatnot. And all because some of these things are perhaps not taught in school. What type of lifestyle can you do to be able to lower your risk to have any sort of heart disease and or diabetes? A lot of it could be hereditary as well, but what can you do to lower your risk? And so through this class that I took with the International Olympic Committee, I am slowly starting to create a project together where it could start off with Olympians raising awareness in schools, educating um, students, and then from there, maybe push on the project a little bit further, but this is where it is at the grassroots level. That's awesome. That's like amazing. Very, very cool. And that's, uh, man, I just missed it. I'm over 30 now. I've been over <laughs> 30. I'm not going to lie. I've been over 30, but that's, um, I would love to be able to share that resource if that's okay. Like, and of course I'll put the link in the, the show notes. So, um, also with that, like, how do you see your future practice of podiatry? <laughs> um, that's a great question. And it's something that I'm still trying to piece together and get a more concrete image. Um, you know, with my sporting background, I definitely love to keep in touch with my roots. Um, being currently on the Canadian Olympic Committee's Athlete Commission, I'm, I'm feeding that, that passion that drives through that. But I'd like to maybe do that a little bit more with my future career as a podiatrist and perhaps work with some teams. I've been very fortunate actually to have been connected with Dr. Kirikosia in California. And um, I've, I've been able to sit down in some of the meetings in the California Podiatric Sports Medicine Committee and see all the amazing work that they do. And I love to be able to learn from them of what you guys do in the States and bring this back up here in Canada and create a, a, a branch specific for podiatric sports medicine. Is there anything that you're currently training for? Training for, I haven't quite decided if I will compete in the Paris Olympic Games as an athlete. Um, I would like to attend, whether it be in an athlete mentor position or a role with the International Olympic Committee. Um, I'm still trying to think about that. Um, so training specifically, no, I am training to keep active. I do give camps, um, training camps and whatnot. I was just in Egypt last week and helping out a club team over there. Um, so I do keep in touch with the sport very closely and I'm active in it. Um, and it's up to me now, I suppose, to, to make up my mind if I want to compete at the next games. Well, I actually really want to ask if besides like representing, like the honor of representing your country and like being able to compete on such a high level, what was like the coolest thing about going to the Olympics? Ooh, I know. <laughs> yeah, I get to ask this question quite a few times, and it's always so hard to just pick one moment because the Olympics themselves are just so special. Um, you know, even just watching it on TV, to being there as a spectator, to then being there as an athlete, knowing that you trained your entire life for this one moment. Um, yeah, I have I have two highlights, and and one is just showing up on the pool deck and seeing the Olympic rings for the very first time. Because it's one thing competing at a World Cup or World Championships, there's something special about being there on the Olympic stage and knowing that the entire world is watching you. Um, and then second of all, you might find this a little bit funny, especially with my project that I mentioned, but the Athletes Village is absolutely incredible in the Olympics because you are staying in this village surrounded by the best athletes in the entire world. And something that maybe not a lot of people know is that you, 
you eat in this cafeteria and make it seem a little bit small, but it's actually massive. It's about two or three hockey arenas long by one mm-hmm. wide. And it's, it's massive. You could find food from all over the world, including a McDonald's. It's, it's all free. Dang it. <laughs> of course there's a McDonald's. There's a McDonald's in the Olympic village. Perfect. <laughs> um, and the best part is that you could sit down with anybody and have something in common and sit down with you know Michael Phelps or Simone Biles and have lunch with them and celebrate their medal and order everything off the McDonald's menu if you want and celebrate with your Olympic gold medalist friend right next to you it's just it's it's an amazing experience in itself oh my gosh that's probably very surreal like that would be <laughs> I'd be so I'd be like there with like my tray and just be like oh my god what do I what do I do <laughs> So that's really, so did you sit down with Michael Phelps and Simone Biles? So I was, um, Simone, we were sitting actually on the same table. I was sitting with a Canadian gymnast at the time back, uh, uh, what games was this? I was sitting with some Canadian gymnasts and Michael Phelps were in the same McDonald's line in Rio. Um, he, he had a lot of people around him at that point. So I didn't want to bombard him, but we were close. Oh my gosh. that That is a great story. That is. I always <laughs> was curious about the the village you always hear things that it's just like so amazing and cool because like yeah you're right like all the top athletes in the world are there if you're all top athletes how does that like yeah how does that work in there like are you all just like oh yeah hi like <laughs> nice to see you, and it's, see you it's, out there. <laughs> it's neat to see all the little nuances too and I, I don't know if it's the same sort of feeling for you working in a hospital sometimes comparing with different specialties where you have orthopedics and then and, and geriatrics and cardiovascular surgery and here in the Olympic village you know you have the judo athletes who are trying to cut down their weight so they're there in the village with garbage bags all over them running around trying to lose their weight by sweating it out and then you have the really tall basketball players the really short gymnasts and then us in the between it's 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 really neat you're able to spot out all the different sports oh my gosh that's it sounds incredible uh, also since you from a young age knew that you wanted to be a in the Olympics, like that was something you knew from a young, young age. Did it take you some time to like decompress and be like, oh, oh I'm actually here? It, it really did, honestly, because we're so performance oriented leading up to the games. I didn't really feel it that much. Even the training days prior to competing didn't feel it until my very first competition um, in Brazil, my parents weren't supposed to be there at first because it's so expensive, the flights to just to go down there. Um, but one airline company flew my parents down um, and I just knew the day before and right before I went out to compete, you know, the stands are full, filled with thousands of people. And the moment that I walked out, that's when it hit me. Lock, it, was, it was incredible. Okay, and- good, good. But, you know, those are the moments where you really want to have your blinders on and be focused. And I was fortunate enough to just luckily spot my mom in the crowd and just lock eyes with her for a fraction of a second. And just then I knew that I was able to settle down, focus on my swim. But that moment, I'll I'll never forget it. That's when it all sunk in. Oh, my gosh. Thank God your mom was there then. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well that, thank you so much for sharing like your experience in the Olympics too. Cause I, it's something that I know I'll never know. So I'm kind of living it through you right, right now. Oh, um, it's a pleasure. What were, what is something outside of podiatry or even swimming that you're wanting to currently learn or do? 
Um, so I'm on day 720 on Duolingo. I'm trying to learn Spanish. Um, yo hablo un poquito español, pero yo, pero, uh, yo quiero aprender más. Um, oh, you're I, my, you're, it sounds great. <laughs> Gracias. Um, it's, yeah. it's been something of mine that I've always wanted to learn. I've wanted to pick up another language. You know, as an athlete, you, you're fortunate enough to get to travel around the world. And I'm there usually long enough to pick up a hi, thank you, simple words. But um, it's in the past couple of years, I've been able to give a, a training camp in Mexico. And uh, I communicate with the athletes mostly in English and a little bit of my broken Spanish. So it's my goal to be hopefully fluent in Spanish in the next couple of years. Would that make you trilingual? Yeah, it would. <laughs> yeah, that's a great goal for something that you're learning and you'll clearly use it. Uh, and then what is a tip you wish you could tell your younger self about pursuing a career in podiatry? I think to tell myself that it, it is possible. Um, there's a lot of times when I was training, it's something, training for the Olympics is something that I've been training for ever since I was five, six years old. Um, and I've always had that goal in mind. And sometimes you don't feel like pursuing a career after sport is possible, especially in a field that's so competitive, like podiatric medicine, um, you know, having the grades, having the prerequisites, sometimes you could be really hard on yourself. Um, you know, having to only take two or three classes a semester and trying to learn the material on yourself because you're halfway around the world and you know, you don't understand something just from reading it in a book and just say, you know what, it's okay. It is possible. It's, it's all going to happen. Keep on trudging through, keep on working hard. That's great advice. Are there any books or like resources that you have found extremely like helpful, um, either learning about the field or even just like time management? Ooh. I know um, I threw you a curveball there because I didn't <laughs> no, so take a moment <laughs> in terms of resources podcasts like yourself and there's also another podcast called pod chat live um who are both very informative podcasts that I, I'd love to listen to I, I save them my phone so whenever I travel I listen to the podcast um and in terms of material that have helped me along the way I mean there's a bunch of YouTube channels that have helped learn uh certain materials from afar but definitely podcast is something, uh, a big tool that I've been using too. I'm always looking to help spread like resources for our listeners. So thank you. Thank you so much for being on and taking the time out of your schedule to, to share your unique experiences and insights. And I look forward to seeing all that you accomplish in and outside of podiatry. I want to thank you very much for what you do for creating this podcast for students like myself, who'd like to learn more about the profession and the ins and out of it. So thank you. Oh, you're, you're welcome. That was very sweet. No, I, I will keep doing it as long as it's helping somebody. So thank you for saying that. And with that, like, thank you so much and hopefully have you back on later on and see where you're at in life. Amazing. Well, thank you. Email me at droxman at gmail.com. The address is in the show notes below and let me know if there's a topic or if you know a kick-ass lady who should be interviewed. Thanks for listening. Looking forward to hearing your comments and suggestions on the podcast. And remember, stay uncomfortable. That's where we grow.